Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ken and Rids podcast, volume seven, issue 301. And today we're going to be talking about the original Resident Evil, or Biohazard, as it was known in Japan. You can play along with the show. We've just announced the next 50 shows for this year, the volume that we're calling 7, 2018. And if you want to play along with the next few shows, you can play Bleed and Bleed 2. Then it's Res, whichever version you like, really. After that, we're going to talk about 1080 Snowboarding and 1080 Avalanche, the follow-up. Uh, Crackdown, that is the 2007 Xbox 360 game, not the old uh, Sega top-down uh, odd arcade machine. And then we continue our Final Fantasy series with Final Fantasy 2, and that will be continuing throughout the year, as will this Resident Evil series. You can find the full uh, schedule at and we also have the odd article and feature, even the uh, very occasional review on the blog, uh, as well as links to our forum and social spaces. And of course, you can support us. Now, there's an extra incentive this year. If you are willing to donate a dollar a month, which is currently at the time of recording under 75 pence, under a single euro, you will get every Cane and Rinse show a week earlier. That is, for instance, this one. You'll be hearing it on the 15th of January if you've paid your dollar and it'll be the 22nd thereafter. And so that will follow throughout the year. And if you think it's worth a dollar or so for around eight hours of entertainment a month or more, if you include Sound of Play and the various extras we do, you can get that little bonus by going to patreon.com slash You can also support us by buying a t-shirt or a bag via our Spreadshirt shop, shop.spreadshirt.co.uk slash Again, there's a link on the homepage at canerince.com. And we're also soon, if not already, going to be adding a PayPal button for single-time donations. We also have another podcast, Sound of Play. That's every Wednesday video games music including interviews with composers and community members other podcasters and the like it's a really good show you should definitely check it out if you don't already listen so joining me leon cox in issue 301 are carl moon hello everybody Mikhail croder jill here's a lockpick <laughs> i was waiting for the rest and sean o'brien itchy tasty Nice, good stuff. Well done, everybody. Uh, right, this is your. This seems fairly redundant, but you know you can't be too careful. Your Resident Evil One spoiler warning. Yeah. Uh, so, Biohazard, Resident Evil. Uh, the game was uh, renamed from its original Japanese title, Biohazard, um, because according to Capcom's Chris Kramer, Chris Kramer, I should say, in the US. Uh, both a, quote, crappy DOS-based game and a New York-based punk band were already both named Biohazard at the time in America. So they felt it would almost be impossible to register that uh, Biohazard copyright in the US. So they had a company-wide contest to rename the game and the win winner was, of course, Resident Evil. Uh, and uh, I like the way that they've incorporated the Japanese name into the English uh, game and vice versa in Resident Evil 7. I thought that was a very <laughs> neat touch. Mm -hmm. yeah. So... This game was developed and published by Capcom. Shinji Mikami was a uh, main man ha on this project, having already been involved in a few uh, Capcom projects, most notably probably uh, when Capcom had the Disney license for Super Nintendo games. Uh, they did those uh, Mickey games. Th his, those weren't his, but he did Goof Troop and Aladdin, which, uh, of course, you'll know was a distinctly different game to the Disney Aladdin game that Shiny uh, or Virgin did for the Mega Drive. 
Also, producer was Takaro Fujiwara, who we will be hearing a lot more about again later this volume because we're going to be talking about his legendary Makaimura or Ghosts and Goblins games, the first two in that series. Uh, also on the production side was Masayuki Akahori, who uh, had worked on things like Final Fight 2, Magic Sword and UN Squadron, uh, other Capcom coin-ops of the era. Uh, also, as well as uh, programmer Yasuhiro Anpo, who has, uh, I think this was one of his first projects, but uh, went on to work on the Onimusha games. Uh, we also understand that uh, system planner was Hideki Kamiya, who would, of course, go on to be the director of Resident Evil 2 and a number of other games that we've covered over the years. The composers for the original game, and we'll talk a little bit about the, the famous story regarding one of the versions later on, uh, Makoto Tomazawa, Koichi Hiroki and Masami Ueda. The game came out in Japan in March 1996, just uh, eight days later in America, and of course we had to wait a bit longer in the EU until August the 1st. I remember it well. Reviews were pretty positive across the board and the game has gone on to sell around about 9 million copies worldwide, but I doubt that includes a number that will have been downloaded to PlayStation 3s via the PS1 Classics digital store. I think I got my copy as, as an early PS Plus game when they were when they were doing that, <laughs> uh, when it didn't cause people to foam at the mouth. Yes. You know, imagine, imagine that, being given a a PS1 game for free makes me so angry um, third drawing from the forum says Wipeout was my first game on the PS1 but Resident Evil was the game that made me realise how much gaming had changed from the uh, SNES no longer were we getting kiddish fare like zombies ate my neighbours voice acting atmospheric X-Files type music video cutscenes with real story elements all of these things felt fresh and new with this game the cherry on top was that it was genuine horror, my favourite genre. I know it's clunky, I know the voice acting is laughable, but I don't care. By today's standards, it's incredibly primitive, but by the standards of its time, it showed the promise of the future and what video games were going to be able to do. So obvious inspirations included George A. Romero's zombie movies, very specifically Dawn of the Dead. And the game that was probably most often acknowledged is uh, a spirit, very much a spiritual predecessor to Resident Evil, which is the game called Sweet Home, which I've never played. It's based on a Japanese horror film and it's an RPG uh, more than a survival horror game, I suppose. Uh, but it even it has lots of similar elements to Resident Evil, including the door opening transitions between rooms. Uh, has anyone ever looked more into Sweet Home? Only very briefly. And I was reading with uh, an interview in an early magazine, uh, Maximum magazine, yes. uh, with uh, Mr. Manami, uh, who was involved in the uh, production team. And he was basically saying that they really wanted to do a mansion-style horror game for that. Because uh, they were they were willing to almost steer slightly away from the movie, but they mm. didn't feel like they could represent it well enough as it was. Mm -hmm. So for five years, they'd been desperate to do a house in a European a, a horror game in a European styled manor house, um, yeah. which was the which was the big burning desire for them from that into what we had as Resident Evil. Mm. And of course, also by the time Resident Evil 1 came out, there had already been three Alone in the Dark games, yeah. uh, 92, 93 and 94. Uh, now, I wasn't I was aware of these as somebody who bought all the magazines, but I didn't have a gaming PC at this point. And these didn't come or I don't think they came to console. Maybe they did later. I'm not sure. But uh, 
uh, obviously you couldn't port these sort of quite intensive PC games to the 16-bit console. So um, and obviously there have been spin-offs and and uh, reboots and and so on since. But I think it's it's fair to say that Alone in the Dark must have informed the sort of change of uh, angle, at least you know yeah. the, the way the games look. Yeah, I remember when we were playing the first Resident Evil at our place. Me and my brother and a friend who I was studying with came by, and he was pretty heavy into his PC games and. He said, like, oh, this looks just like uh, Alone in the Dark. You know, this was his yeah. first comment when he saw Resident Evil uh, being played. Uh, and going back to it, yeah, there's the same camera angles. There's the polygonal character and the polygonal monsters uh, in there. Or Are they really poly- polygonal or is it more like ray traced? Mm. But it looked, the aesthetic is very similar. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's nothing to say that someday we won't cover the Alone in the Dark series on Kane and Rince. Uh, but for now, we are talking Resident Evil. Originally... Uh, there was uh, there are early design documents and little bits of uh, beta footage and stuff suggesting that it was going to be a first and or third person shooter, um, possibly with co-op. I mean, obviously, a lot of these ideas were probably fairly quickly rejected, um, but there are some mock ups of first person shooting almost uh, like you'd see in um, maybe in Metal Gear Solid to that sort of uh, switching mm. to first person mm. aiming, that kind of thing. Like in a stat- um, static. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, but due to technical issues uh, and inspiration from Alone in the Dark's uh, camera angles, the game was changed. Andrew Brown from the forum, welcome back, Andrew, to this volume, says, uh, when I was a child, I would often sit in my brother's room and watch him play video games. One day he played something I'd never seen before. Everything about it was a little bit off. An eerie silence filled each room of a mansion, suffused by stillness and dread, interrupted only by doors that creep open to reveal an inky blackness and closing behind the player character with a disconcerting slam. Cameras didn't work the way I knew they should, Super Mario 64 being a then-recent memory, taking the filmic language of cinematography and transplanting it without translation or convention to video games, creating something restrained and claustrophobic, simple and disorienting, familiar and disconcerting. Finally, in a corner of the mansion, we found a body being hovered over by a shadow, a writhing, crunching noise subsuming the silence. As we grew closer, the shadow turned, revealing a pale visage and a bloody mouth. As the zombie lurched towards the player character, my brother paused the game, handed me the controller and left the room with a mocking, have fun, turning the light out as he left. I didn't dare unpause it and I sat terrified in darkness until he returned. Today it may seem silly that the poorly rendered and pixelated mess of that first zombie would terrify me into non-action, but back when Resident Evil was new, it really, really did. I wouldn't return to the inaugural Resident Evil until well after I'd played and finished the 2002 GameCube reimagining, and while the horror didn't hold up, the bones of the franchise still did. Simplified, maniac mansion-style adventure puzzling, coupled with limited ammunition and a mansion filled with zombies and other worse horrors. Capping it all off with a relatively brief playing time that encourages replays and speedruns, and it's no wonder that Resident Evil continues through various iterations and permutations to this day. When it was new, I wasn't quite ready to enter the survival horror, but today I'm glad that I did, and that first moment with that first zombie is a formative moment in my video game life. I have a moment very similar to Andrew's with his uh, brother in that I was staying at my aunt's house, uh, had the TV, the PlayStation, uh, a copy of Resident Evil, and I decided that I was going to play this all night, and my cousin walked into the room, and she's like four or five years younger than me, so I would have been 12, um, and she was terrified 
obviously we are going to you know allude to the remake at various points throughout this podcast but this is not the remake podcast that will have its own show but obviously i think it, it will there will be points where it's relevant to mention yeah. it Nikhil, how about you did you adopt this early i was 20 at the time my brother had a, a playstation one and i was uh, waiting for the nintendo 64 to come around and uh he had this friend who's still a good friend of mine uh, today and uh, and his who was a dealer so i shall not name him by name in illegal <laughs> illegal <laughs> copies of ps1 games <laughs> oh okay uh, so he you know he, somewhere he, else. He, <laughs> no. it is holland so. yeah <laughs> um so so he usually uh, he actually modded our P- or had our ps1 modded and uh, was uh, yeah, yeah. selling us uh dirt cheap uh cdrs of uh of ps1 games yeah but yeah preceding that i had already seen the magazines like edge and cvg and um next generation i already had seen screenshots of the game yeah and also marveled at how just how photorealistic the environments looked. Uh, yeah, I know. He he brought the game around for uh, so to let us have a spin at it and decide if we wanted to buy it off of, off of him or not. We started playing. The zombie was definitely very creepy. That zombie moment that Andrew describes, but it's sim- something that had more of a, a sense of dread to it than an all-out mm. scare. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially if you're in a in a in a room together with uh, three young mature guys who are just having a laugh about it all you know and um so we continued playing till we reached uh that hallway and i think we played with jill probably the first uh first time around yeah and uh when that glass shattered and the zombie dogs jumped through our friend already knew what was coming but me and my brother we've had our video game scares before with something like doom where you know you enter a room you grab a a key card and all of a sudden the lights go off (laughs) and the wall slides open there's a Mm -hmm. snarling demon behind you yeah but we've never had this kind of experience where it was a carefully set up, almost set piece like of jump scare. Yeah, that that was going down. So the the, the zombie dog, the Cerberus, jumped through the window. It was either me or my brother who was playing. It it felt like as of as if we were both holding the, holding the controller. I can't really recall that exactly, but we let the controller drop to the floor, and both of us started screaming our heads <laughs> off in terror. <laughs> <laughs> and our, our friend was just he knew it was coming he was just rolling across the floor and laughing his uh, behind off so that was that was our proper introduction introduction to resident evil and we've spent many nights after that you know playing together having some friends around trying to solve puzzles together passing the controllers a controller around and it was yeah it was just such a engrossing and forever memorable experience to play through that game Mm. Sean, do you remember your early experiences, zombie dogs and all? Yeah, the dog still gets me, even to this day. <laughs> Good. Just playing it this little week, it gets me every time. Embarrassing now, yeah. but still, yeah. <laughs> it really is. Um, yeah, like, uh, back then I was, uh, I was in a band and we would practice at my friend's house and or our drummer's house. And uh, in between songs, we would stop and, and play some uh, something on the PlayStation. Like I, I, wasn't, I didn't have one on myself, so... I was psyched to go over there and, and play whatever he had. And our most, our main game was Tekken 2. We played that all the time. But this time um, nice. we were playing, uh, he's like, oh, you should fire up this, uh, this this zombie game I got. And I don't even know what it is. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Because <laughs> I wasn't aware of it at the time. Mm. Um, and uh, yep, we got to the hallway with the dogs. 
and we turned it off. I was like, nope, not coming back to this. <laughs> <And> just <laughs> just uh, went nope, back nope, to nope. playing music, and this was this wow. kind of how we went from there. <laughs> and then and yeah, eventually it's when also, I did... it's also the music at that point, like when that, oh yeah the, yeah the duck jumps there, the music the whole build it was up, silent yeah, before, and the music mm-hmm. is just terror terror. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a cheap trick really, but yeah, uh, it's a brilliant moment. It, yeah. It can't be understated just how surprising it was having something because of this new sort of, or not new because Alone in the Dark had done it, but to a lot of us it was new, it was mm-hmm. fairly new at least. Uh, definitely as console gamers, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I was playing this the other day um, on PS3, the PS1 version. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the PAL director's cut is the one you can get yeah. over here. And I was like, God, look at the graphics. Look at the, mm-hmm. the, how, <laughs> how could I have ever found this scary? And then, and I walked into that hall and I knew it was coming. Yep. And it's still, the timing still got me. So <laughs> yeah, fair play, it's, fair play. Yeah. yeah, it's a brilliant yeah. moment. So I was 24 when this came out, a little more mature than the rest of you. Um, and I remember actually not finishing the original release of this mm. game i not i think it was a combination of factors partly that it did make me very very tense uh, the combination of audio and the you know the limited health and ammo mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing but also i got fairly quickly ground down by the backtracking the door animations the limited inventory and all the stuff that we're, we're going to talk about it actually it turned me away from the game at first mm-hmm. and it was only when i went back and played it i, I re i I think I traded it in and and bought the director's cut when I knew that was coming. Uh, so I, I I thought right, well I've I've now spent like a total of seventy five quid on this game or something. So it's probably about time that I played it through. And that's when I I started to really properly get into it. Um, and of course the 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 advanced mode in the director's cut changes a few things, keeps it fresh, uh, rebalances it a little bit. Um, and yeah, so that's the version I'm most familiar with. Uh, and I actually found that I enjoy playing it as Jill more because although it's easier, well, probably because it's easier, but although it's easier, it's just a, it's a slightly more, I find it personally a, a, a more kind of nicely balanced game. I, it, I find it too troublesome to leave things alive <laughs> and wander, mm-hmm. continue to wander around. Even now, even when they're not scary anymore, it's more the thought of having to redo lengthy sections of loading and backtracking than it is the fear of being eaten alive or whatever. And I think it always was to an extent. Obviously... We talk about graphics then and now. We'll, we'll go straight on to that. Really, it was different to our eyes back then, right? Now, it, oh, it yeah. has. It, one has to acknowledge that one's expectations of visuals, you know, compared to the state of the art, do play a part in how effective they are on us. So even though we knew what real life looked like back in 1996, <laughs> and it, uh, uh, and and games were further away from it, but we hadn't seen. Like you say, like these rendered backdrops in screenshots in magazines look near photorealistic to our eyes at the time. You look the, at them now. The lighting as well, you know, the yeah. light bulbs on the wall and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And they really don't now. And yeah. <laughs> and it'll be interesting to go back to the remake and the HD remaster yeah. of the remake because that then looked like, oh, no, oh, no, yeah. this is photorealistic. And of course, <laughs> no, it isn't either. I, I think but, also uh, Resident Evil, the first game, has the, the disadvantage of being remade into in an incredible way. So yeah. that that already uh, makes it. I mean, it's Resident Evil two and three. The pre-rendered back, backdrops in those are pretty amazing, especially for the time. Yes, uh, and they were definitely steps ahead. But the re, the the remake happening after that made makes Resident Evil one even look more antiquated. Yeah, yeah. It's it's particularly striking playing this as I have been now on a you know, on a, a an HD screen, not not massive, thirty seven inch screen, but big enough to make it look 
pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and back at the time, everything you know, we were used. To, we were just getting used to polygons at all in being, or you know, polygons in this fashion. Obviously, we'd had wireframe game and vector games before this, but fully textured, modelled polygons. Like you look at them now and they, they've got these, you know, fat, chunky arms and they've got there's clipping all over the shop and there's dithering mm. and there's, you know, it, it all conspires to make it look very rough. Now, I've spent the last week or so playing this fairly constantly and you do reacclimatize to an extent, yes. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> However, if you then jump to even the 2002 remake or a another game that came out in the last two years you go oh my god it's wow. mind-boggling yeah. isn't it how good <laughs> yeah. games look now when you've gone sort of back and forth and the rendered backgrounds were just like nothing we'd ever seen before and it's, it, it was similar with other games like final fantasy 7 with the pre-rendered backgrounds and, and you sort of ended up forgiving the clearly interactive uh, 3d polygonal elements in the foreground mm. and and even um tekken when that came out with its cg intros these were things that we'd just never seen before uh it still has aged better than uh ps1 games with full polygonal yeah. uh, polygonal uh, environments absolutely uh, yeah yeah. would agree with that yeah um we should talk a little about the scenario because actually i have to say this was one of the things that did and still does appeal to me the most a creaky old spooky mansion yeah. with a <laughs> with a science lab underneath it yeah. with zombies everywhere that's awesome right i mean that's like that's still awesome <laughs> because when we started playing it going back to that moment again you don't know what the whole idea behind this thing is no. you know, are the zombies supernatural you know are their bodies revived from the grave by a, mm. a, a supernatural curse or anything like that yeah and bio has the japanese name of the game which we didn't know about at the time gives the mm-hmm. uh, the concept be- kind of uh, away and resonant Evil a little as bit a, as a name doesn't really, yeah. you know it that's doesn't true mean anything it's more supernatural so it, it was it was the setting the, the spooky old mansion it could have very well turned out when you when you were playing into something very yeah, supernatural, more akin to maybe Sweet Home. What was curious, though, I think it became apparent fairly early on that we knew that we were getting a censored uh, game, both some of the in-game FMV sequences, which now look pretty ropey anyway, as we say, but also the the um, the FMV intro with the live action mm-hmm. actors. The Japanese intro um, was uh, quite gory. I mean, again, as schlocky as you want, as hokey as you want, the acting was, you know, all the same, i.e. diabolical with the, the voice, <laughs> the, with the voice actors from the game um, in unconvincingly dubbing the live action <laughs> actors and uh, then sudden shots of um, bad CGI helicopter <laughs> interspersed and <laughs> puppet dog face and <laughs> all this stuff. And, I, you know, I was sli- I was only mildly bothered by the fact that we had a, a censored version. It didn't bother me too much. And mm. actually, this was at a point when I was I was I had mixed feelings about this intro. I remember, you know, taking the mick out of this game a lot, even at the time. Mm. It would be disingenuous to say that, oh, this was all fine at the time. Like it was just that this was the state of the art. It was only we were only a year away from or less. than We were a few months away from Broken Sword. We, and we had already had games that had acting some 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 level of uh, quality performance and script in it. I was concerned also at this point about the proliferation of fmv i I was hoping we were getting past that sort of (laughs) early 90s era of cd rom you know interactive movie type games and this concerned me that this had yeah exactly just really low production values and clearly you know very uh low ranking acting talent Mm -hmm. and all that sort of thing but by the same token 
it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah that that's definitely true. Uh, but and I was really kind of fearing going back to the the this version of the game, the the first version, the original Resident Evil, and fearing that I wouldn't be able to take the game seriously at a, anymore at any mm. level. But I must right. say. Now going back to it and seeing the crappy FMV intro and the Barry Burton, and, uh, <laughs> Chris Redfield, mm-hmm. and then especially that final sign of Resident Evil, yeah. it it's it really adds to uh, this feeling of B movie horror mm-hmm. uh, that maybe uh, from part two on out the series kind of kind of lost. It went yeah. more gr- uh, there was more of a grandeur and an epicness and a larger storyline from there on out where th- this it really uh, helps to give resident evil one this sort mm-hmm. of uh, an actual real horror b-movie atmosphere i can never tell if there was a consistent thought process here even though for me it didn't matter like i i kind of feel like the the opening b-movie intro kind of clashes a little bit with the full game even though the voice acting mm. itself is really hammy but like it's still it's exactly what i was just about to say yeah, yeah it's like it's really strange like I, I i can't tell if it was really like a, a actual clear thought that they had or a consistent thought but it, it still works in an, in an odd way I don't, it's the really tone strange. is weird yeah i completely agree i was i was just about to say like i, I remember at the time finding the game despite the the voice acting mm-hmm. everything else about it really creep me out you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. in a good in a good way in a fun yeah, way not yeah, in a yeah. not in a silent hill way right, but yeah. in a i am legitimately mm. on edge slightly scared mm-hmm. may may jump sometimes especially you know we'll come on to the soundtrack but yeah like i completely agree it almost felt like that intro was from a different project or something. exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah i think it's interesting what you said about this game despite all the cheesiness and the silliness it still creeps you out yep. because that's the moment between the cutscenes where you are yeah. controlling the character and mm-hmm. nobody's speaking and and especially now when you play it as soon as you know you're playing jill campaign and barry shows up and there's a the the, the you know the 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 black borders on top on the top mm-hmm. of the bottom of the screen and mm. they start talking it's almost mm. as also, it's almost especially now a moment of comic relief yeah, very much yeah. so yeah jill sandwich Hunter 30 from the forum talking about the graphics says, when I got my PS3, one of the first things I did was go into the PlayStation store and download Resident Evil. And I was genuinely taken aback by how dated it looked. It's funny the tricks that your memory can play on you. In my mind's eye, Spencer Mansion and its inhabitants were vivid, rich, sharp, not the fuzzy pixelated canvas I actually saw. This doesn't bother me too much, but it was a surprise. So yeah, the audio, um, as well as the music, which we'll talk about separately, uh, I think the the sound uh, design plays an important part. Obviously, mm-hmm. we're going back to early CD-ROM, early 32-bit PlayStation, um, so it's not there's not as much uh, kind of environmental and ambient audio as you would get in a modern game. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything you know, there there is there are a set of sounds that you will hear quite a lot. Um, the zo- even things like the zombie moans now sound faintly comical but Mm -hmm. again it's there's something almost creepy about the fact that they sound comical i remember my girlfriend at the time swearing that they were saying things you know in the same way as um (laughs) as like the uh the the things in half-life 2 are sort of screaming for help actually because they've they've been uh subsumed she she was like she was convinced these zombies were you know kind of yeah screaming out that they Mm -hmm. were still human in there or something like this and and i don't think any of that's actually there but it's a good indicator of 
of the the tricks they were playing. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we've talked recently about how gun sounds have come on a lot over the years, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and again you you listen to the beretta now and it sounds like somebody hammering on a large door or whatever but actually the gun <laughs> sounds gone. in this game yeah uh the guns in this game compared to a lot of games that were around at the time were really uh quite authentic sounding um they they had something uh meaty and weighty to them that that a lot of games didn't have i think um and that was uh that was part of the the feel of the game the fact that even though again these zombies now look very blocky and shambolic shambolic as well as shambling um the fact that you felt like you were really shooting them and they reacted well to your uh to your meaty sounding shotgun blast and everything was a huge part of the appeal as i recall mm. it's something we cover over and over again on Kane and rinse about when you look back at something now to how it feels at the time and it, it's hard to define what something felt like compared to what yeah. something actually is but I remember being blown away. I I'm, I got a PlayStation when they came out, and I played so many different games over the year. And this was the first one that blew me away with its sound right from the get go. When you run across the rug that goes all the way up the stairs, and then yeah. all of a sudden across right. the floor, the marble floor, and it's that changing tone. Click and clock. neither neither of those sound great, but it was the, the ability to be able to differentiate all these different tones. Then you've got yep. wooden floors and the different kinds of doors, and it was just like. I remember just being blown away. This this sounds incredible. It really bedded you in the in the world, didn't it? Absolutely. Yes. There was an attention to detail there that mm-hmm. you didn't. That wasn't all that common uh, in those t- those days. As regards to the music, uh, so there's there's a story here. So uh, depending on which version you play, you'll be listening to a different soundtrack. Um, so if you're playing uh, one of the original, uh, only the original release in America has the original soundtrack. Uh, after that, they released a uh, a director's cut DualShock version, um, which uh, which features the soundtrack that was uh, reworked, and still nobody knows why. But uh, Takashi Nigaki and controversial figure Mamoru Samaragoch, who claimed to be hard of hearing for many years, but in fact was farming out his freelance work to other people and getting them to compose pieces for him. Mm. Um, it's a it's a very strange story and one worth looking up. Now, if you buy the Resident Evil Director's Cut on the PS3 in America, that's the soundtrack you still get. And like I'm less familiar with it. I've listened to some of the pieces side by side with the original music, which was by um, Makato Tomozawa, Akari Kaida, and Masami Ueda. Um, nearly every tune of which I really like. Uh, and it, yeah, it's very odd. Like the fact that it was ever approved. I think this this reworked <laughs> soundtrack. Talking about the original music. Uh, We've we've mentioned on this, particularly on Sound of Play, the safe from music many many times. I still think that piece is just genius. Yeah. Um, there's some of the some of the more action pieces are a little bit cheesy and tinny and a little bit kind of yeah, a bit a bit more in the B movie yeah, uh, yeah. schlock genre. But the mood pieces, I think, are, are still really really effective. Mm. Yeah, it's another it's another example of that really wild tone that they were going for. Like in some cases, it's this really haunting kind of uh, music mm. and, and spooky music and then like you'll get to the snake fight and it's yeah. just kind of like almost almost like final fantasy-ish kind of music backing yeah. it like it's just like sure. what is happening here it's yeah. a really strange <laughs> juxtaposition up. i mean I, re- I was i played through this game with my father um for, for a lot of it and i remember we we loved the music that was in it the, the, the safe safe room music is absolutely mm. incredible and then you get to the puzzle where you insert the pieces and play the piano as Jill 
Uh, if you're playing the Jill playthrough, obviously, and suddenly she starts playing Moonlight, Moonlight Sonata, Sonata. Moonlight Sonata. And yeah. I was, me and my dad just like looked at each other completely slack jawed, like, how is this in the game? This, this is incredible. <laughs> I, I know this music, I've heard this music so many times, and here it is in a yeah. game. And I was just blown away. In that moment, in that setting, it's actually quite eerie. Yeah, mm. yeah. The, the song's haunting enough on its own, let alone. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of as if the music in various places in the mansion and uh, the labs also kind of refers to various types of uh, horror and action movies of different cloth. Because I also, one of the, my most vividly uh, remembered pieces of music is the, the tubular bells style yeah. soundtrack mm. in the... the Puzzly room. areas. Yeah, in the puzzly areas, especially that room with the deer head on the wall. Yeah, uh, yeah, where yeah. that creepily... Uh, uh, looks looks down on you. Mm. Uh, it's yeah, very reminiscent of uh, the music in The Exorcist, of course. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. yeah, and it really so prickles again. It's that skin. sort of that supernatural feel to it as well. It, it, it's yeah. it, it, it just so ideal at making you feel isolated in an environment. I think it's one of those things where obviously we're all speaking about this because we played it back in the day at the time. We, we're all speaking with a certain amount of um, nostalgia and, mm-hmm. and you know, sort of residual affection, mm-hmm. which is why we always put so much emphasis on co- context. But I actually feel like uh, obviously some of these tunes are, are, are re- reused or reworked in, in the remake, but I actually I like the this kind of quite um, basic sounding sound libraries or whatever they used for this original version. It's, it's a bit like Final Fantasy VII in that regard, in that it really, in some ways, you love to hear the orchestrated versions of these tunes and it's amazing to hear them fully realised, but also the fact that they sound like the particular sounds that they had available that they could use at the time sort of mm. ke- keeps them sort of bedded in their uh, yeah. in their own time period and also let's not forget the moments where there isn't any music playing yeah. uh, and the, the eeriness of that and um or the the clock ticking in the dining hall <laughs> the yeah. dining hall i think um you know for good or bad the soundboard uh, is incredibly memorable even now 21 years after release mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. you can hear you know that little pop gun beretta the walking mm-hmm. on the marble floors the ticking of that clock and mm-hmm. yeah. you would immediately know that, that is resident evil and the, the sounds aren't the best but they are incredibly memorable and that is arguably think, better than just being good yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. they're they're used in a very understood way mm-hmm. where they're uh, used to emphasize a certain mood or a right. certain feeling and yeah. certain sounds are not being played and others are being brought to the foreground so, characters and cast. So, you've got the two playable characters, Chris and Jill, and obviously supporting cast of uh, particularly Barry and uh, Albert Wesker and Rebecca Chambers as well. Uh, there were originally going to be uh, some others. Obviously, you have got uh, Brad, the pilot, but uh, originally Bravo t- uh, Bravo team's pilot rather than Alpha team's pilot is Brad. Uh, Dewey was, uh, was going to be a thin, tall African-American member of Stars who would have served as the game's comic relief. So, we can probably be grateful that didn't happen. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. Uh, uh, there was another character named Gelza, who was a giant man with cybernetic implants. Yeah. It was also planned to appear in the game, but they were discarded from the final version. Of course, I guess. Uh, with yeah. a, a vaguely German-sounding name. Yeah, naturally. <laughs> so what was unusual about this, and, and I remember this, because this was when my friend Simon first went over to Japan in around 97, I think. And I remember saying to him, because he said, oh, I've been playing Resident Evil, it's great. And I said, oh, right, uh, you know, like, are you, are you understanding it okay? And he's like, oh, well, all the speech is in English. I'm like, what? Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. So it turns out that the, the Japanese version uh, was recorded 
Shinji Mikami said it was too terrible to to use. And this this sort of wow. plays into it. Well, <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it? Because do you remember the the amount of times we've said that we've uh, well, certainly I I do this. I think I think Mikil does as well. Which is where you, if you have the option, you put voice acting into Japanese sometimes just so you don't have to hear how bad the the English yeah, is true, because you true. can't tell as well when it's in a foreign language. It's harder to mm. pick up yeah. whether it's poorly acted. So I suspect, um, yeah, here I can imagine that Mikami and the team were hearing the US version and think because they were less familiar with the cadence and <laughs> rhythm and whatever all the stuff that completely destroys it in in English. Mm-hmm. I guess it just didn't sound as as bad to that. Don't um, go through that door. <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Despite voicing the English dub, all the voice actors were not native English speakers. Uh, they were all living in Japan at the time. Uh, it was one of the first Japanese games ever to be released in English with Japanese subtitles. Uh, Hunter 30 from the forum says the voice acting is basically terrible but terrible in a way that I remember with affection. Even 20 years on, every so often I'll be in a pub with a few mates and one of us will randomly fling our arms around like a puppet and say something like, oh my God, it's a zombie. (laughs) Colin Miller from email says, Resident Evil with its strange polygonal monsters and even stranger dialogue is an indelible artifact of game design. Indiana Jones might say it belongs in a museum and I wouldn't disagree, but it's worth checking out if you're a curious nerd. It created tension by using difficult controls and a creepy atmosphere. Survival horror was born, even though we take horror games for granted nowadays. What I love about the original Resident Evil is how it survived today, not on its frights, which for all its contemporary prowess no longer land, but on its comedy. Everything the real Barry Burton says is iconic. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. It's one of those things where it's, it's it's the so bad it's good kind of situation with the voice acting, and it's kind of like yeah. the like the room, the movie that just came out. Like I was, I, I don't know if you guys have seen the Disaster Artist, but some yeah. of the scenes they recreate, and you can't. Mm. It's like bad acting is something you can't really replicate. Like it's just something yeah. that bad actors yeah. are good at in a weird way. Yeah. <laughs> like is this? And so like all of this acting in here, like as as much as we're having fun recalling the lines and trying to say them ourselves like we're not nailing it like they no, did no, right. back then it's so strange it's interesting uh, i remember uh, the edge review of resident evil 2 talking about how much improved the the voices and dialogue were over the first game and actually while they're perhaps not wrong it's <laughs> like it says something when you think about uh, some of the lines and the performances in that game that it yeah. was <laughs> a major improvement <laughs> but uh, more of that uh, when we cover resident evil 2 So let's come on to perhaps one of the most talked about elements other than the dialogue, which is the controls and movement in this game. So going back, I've been playing it uh, as intended on on the PS3, but the PAL PS1 version, which is entirely digital controls. There's no analog. Of of course, there was no analog controller on the PS1 at this point, unless you you include the NEGCON, which I don't think was designed with Resident Evil in mind. There were no analog sticks anyway. This also predates the 180 spin move, which became standard, I think, from the second game onwards, or certainly uh, not that far into the into the, the third. series. It was the third, I think. Third. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. Right. Right. The common parlance describes these as tank controls, but I don't mm. think that was sort of in the day-to-day lexicon then. Mm. It was about basically rotating your character and pushing forward to make them go forward. A bit like a tank, sure, but not. it's not tank controls like Battlezone where you have to pull both sticks back and both sticks forward to push <laughs> forward and all that sort of thing, and one back yeah. and one forward to rotate. So it's not quite that. But there it is. And not only that, but you've also got the can't move while firing thing. Yep. You've also got the fact that 
you've got no on-screen sort of indicators as to whether something is interactive or not. Now, there are lots of clues, which are perhaps more apparent now because the diff on, on modern larger TVs, it's actually easier to see the difference between the pre-rendered art, uh, mm -hmm. artifacts and the, and the polygons. And you know mm -hmm. always if there's a polygon that there's something you can do with it. Uh, they stand out like a sore thumb now. Uh, there's a lot still of sliding around the edges of screens, hammering the action yeah. button, <laughs> the cross button to, to either go through a door or to find if something's uh, there. There's some completely hidden items behind or inside pre-rendered objects. So there's some, you know, secret health and, and ammo and stuff hidden in weird places. So just thinking about the basic mechanics, not, not the puzzles, not the inventory stuff, but the actual walking about and interacting with the world stuff. I remember at the time basically being fine with it. Yeah. But now I find myself wanting it, everything just to be a bit faster and a bit smoother and a bit more responsive to what I want to happen. But that said, I've still played through this game again, played through it start to finish, albeit in in, in an easier, one of the easier settings. And after a while, I still find myself kind of just getting on with it. I don't find this game unplayable now. Mm -hmm. Do any of you? No. no? And no. I... I will say one thing before we maybe properly kick off this, this discussion, but once mm. you are adept with the controls, once you are familiar with the game and you're replaying it, you can just dash through rooms if you know the layout. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Holding one direction is the biggest advocate for me for this control scheme in the constraints uh, imposed on the player by the, by the, the game and its yep. overall design. And how about the, obviously, one of the, again, sort of one of the cliches when you talk about Resident Evil, but we have to do it here because we're doing a deep dive review. Do we think it was purely designed around the presentation of the screens that is using the pre-rendered backdrops and varying camera angles? Or was it deliberately employed to to add tension by not always being able to see what what's what's coming at you or what you're coming mm. towards the fact that you can only walk slowly backwards the fact that you can't move while you're firing and all that stuff mm -hmm. like having now obviously it's it's nearly 10 years since dead space one guys <laughs> and <laughs> and that felt like the natural progression of resident evil 4 in some ways i think it's fair to say mm. um because you know resident evil 4 this is the first game we're going to review a second time but we all i think everyone on the panel in that show felt it was a masterpiece back when we covered that even though Dead Space had already happened at that point. Yeah. But I think where I remember saying Dead Space kind of felt like the next step, which was that it it managed to keep the fear and the tension while still allowing the player to dive around a bit and move left and right while firing and walk forwards and all this cool stuff. Mm. Um, so there are there's lots of ways of doing this successfully, I think. I think it's for good and bad. You know, that, that okay. that's what you got to look at it is something like Dead Space manages to survive in, in a world where you can move and, and shoot at the same time uh, and direct the camera where you want to go to some degree because mm. you're in constricting environments so you don't have too much freedom and then you look at something like dead space 3 that freedom it, it, you're in much bigger environments and suddenly that that fear element has gone you see it with something like the evil within um where it can turn into a bit of a shooter at times because that tension's not gone what the fixed camera angles could do and was almost certainly intentional for this game, is mm. it allows them to direct the entire pacing of the game. So by mm. hiding an enemy just out of camera view, they can bring that enemy forwards as you enter a room and then know yep. that your natural reaction is that you will fire shots, or so say five shots mm -hmm. from a pistol to average take down a, a zombie. They can have within a rough estimate of how much ammo and how much health you're going to have at any one time, and that, right. that'll drive the drama. 
and it's never it's never unfair either so like you'll walk into a room and if you just stay still for a second you'll hear even if you can't see it you'll hear an enemy somewhere in the room and then if you go and, and if yeah moaning or just shuffling around and if you like go a little bit further and the, and the camera will change you can still sometimes see like the zombies he might not be like directly in your view but you can see his arm like kind of like flailing a little bit in the corner yeah. Or something like that. So it's never unfair, at least. And most of the enemies are slow enough to where you can take a couple of uh, steps back and create mm-hmm. space between you yeah. and it. And then take your time to pop them in the head. Yeah. Um, especially in the early part of the game. <clears throat> my, t- my take on this is maybe a kind of perfect storm of mechanics and aesthetics coming together. Or maybe an imperfect storm, storm, if you will. Because if you look at Resident Evil as a whole, it's not an action game first and foremost it's an adventure pixel hunt game right you're going through mm-hmm. these environments scouring, scouring for items and objects and searching mm-hmm. every nook and cranny of a room and then piecing them together to make progress it's just that yeah. there is maybe for this style of game unusually larger action elements uh, added to it mm. so you know everybody calls these styles of games survival horror due to this sort of weird hackneyed english uh, opening that's text right. in the beginning of the, uh, the game entered the survival horror right here yeah. Let, let's not kid ourselves this is not a completely new style of game that came out of nowhere it it combines elements in a sort of way certain way that made it new but it's essentially a puzzle action adventure game with yep. flick screens mm. there are many references so yeah you, you're right this is the the first survival horror because of the the dodgy english even though we'd had alone in the dark um just yeah. the biggest character in the game is the mansion which is essentially a big puzzle box but you explore it and it's got like the classic 90s metroidvania style you progress just enough to unlock a new skill that you now need to use at the opposite end so you're constantly traversing back and forth it brings mm. that metroidvania style thing without the sort of the verticality that you would normally expect because it's no longer 2d mm. um and it, it's all about you get a skill just enough and then track back you you it, you recall where you've seen that you yeah. need that ability or that that weapon or you know that item and and it constantly yeah. goes back and forth and plays that mansion as a puzzle box but it's relatable because although it's completely outrageous for someone to have a house built like that you can still imagine the yeah. house like that and there are a lot of uh, ties with uh, point and click adventures or graphic adventures yeah uh, because you're yeah. combining elements uh to make something happen you know you're combining different items and um even you know if you look at something like the lucas arts games like monkey island and maniac maniac mansion it's also these still screens only from a side-on perspective or mm-hmm. sometimes a little bit from a top-down perspective or a little bit tilted mm-hmm. where you enter a scene and that's what you have to work with you know like what's going on here like let me search this environment and then you enter a next scene and then you see a new situation so it's very similar in that aspect yeah so do you think when people do still say that they find these games these you know the ones the ones in the series and other games that are presented in this way when they say they find it frustrating because of the movement or whatever um are they actually kind of misconstruing what the genre of the game is supposed to be maybe if they think uh think of it more along the lines of uh, of an actual action game uh, yeah but i yeah. think i feel like the control scheme is almost like a graphic adventure you would control with your mouse, right? Like click here, go there. It's almost yep. like, okay, how do we make a character in this kind of uh, yep. setup uh, uh, directly controllable with uh, with a controller and not make it disorienting? Or mm. uh... So in that sense, I think it works really well for this particular type mm-hmm. of game. Although 
at the time, the tank controls, again, felt odd because that was the step away from point and click. So you, you, I can understand some people may struggle to become accustomed to something, mm. but sometimes the alternate wouldn't deliver the same experience. And yeah. again, the, you know, context. It, it, it's that whole you can't see the forest for the trees uh, cliche in, in regards to controls. That, that's at least that's how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Tadinho from the forum says how the game actually plays might be a problem for some people, but to me it always felt perfectly fine. The tank controls never bothered me, and the fixed camera angles work really well, especially when you hear a zombie in the same room, but he's off screen, making you scared to take a step forward. Combat also works fine, with the auto-targeting removing any possible frustration. If you aim at something, nine times out of ten you're going to hit it, which reinforces the importance of resource management. I also think the game is very well paced, and the only part that drags it down for me is the mines section. I might I might disagree with him where he says uh auto targeting removing any possible yeah. frustration no i agree yeah i agree with <laughs> um, you. um it, I, I, so the combat's a little weird for me in that in that how it's not the most consistent thing so like or at least in my experience so like I, i'll i'll aim at a zombie and it certainly looks like i'm aiming directly at him and i hit him three times and he'll drop and he'll get back up or i'll hit him five times and he'll drop and he won't get back well, that's up cause, or he'll five that's times and he'll get points. back up. Like, what, uh, that's because they all have invisible stats. So yeah. every, every like, like in an RPG, every enemy type has a low end and a high end of hit points. And I think sure. they're generated slightly randomly or procedurally each mm-hmm. time that monster is spawned. Mm-hmm. There's only a few places in the entire game where monsters respawn and most of it's triggered by events. Right, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Apart from, there's, there's a bit in the lab where you can keep getting naked zombies which are very dangerous and take a lot of ammo. And uh, if you're not careful at that point, it is entirely possible in this game because it's from 20 years ago to completely run out of mm-hmm. ammo. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the game does anything to restock you. Uh, I remember having conversations with less hardcore gamey friends at, at work back at the time saying I've got a save game and I've got no bullets left and there's no bullets left in the game and I don't mm-hmm. know how to carry yeah. on and I I'm, said well you can dodge stuff but <laughs> good luck with that <laughs> my, my uh, recent playthrough I played through with Chris and yeah, it's uh, so much it's harder a, it's a so, so much harder yeah, campaign and definitely I had to uh, go back to an earlier save because I just uh, completely wasted mm-hmm. a whole bunch of bullets in uh, yeah. one area and I found myself running around without ammunition yeah, it's uh, as you say. Carl's already alluded to it. The the game is, and, and pacing's already been mentioned a few times. The game the game deliberately, very very carefully drip feeds you exactly the resources that you need, or within within a within a scope. And yeah. I don't think it'll ever make there. There won't be a point where you literally can't progress as long as you're careful, kind of thing. But you yeah. do have to be careful because you can paint yourself into a corner mm-hmm. with stuff. And yeah, the I actually I always like the sort of I don't know exactly how many bullets it's going to take me to drop mm-hmm. something yeah. element because to have every zombie exactly the same strength sure. makes them feel less organic. Yeah. There's they brought in a more obvious system of criticals in the director's cut, which is where with the Beretta you've got a chance every every shot you've got a reasonable chance of popping a zombie's head, for instance, yeah. which I which I like. Uh, yeah. It's sort of it's satisfying That's and it adds to that. Shot. Oh, I yeah. felt I felt lucky. I felt lucky. Yeah. Um, so the damage is always consistent with the weapons as long as you actually hit. But yeah, the amount of bullets it might take per enemy and and stuff like. A, a regular zombie might drop to the floor after a couple of hits 
or it or it might drop after three and then it might grab you or it might not it might just lie there for ages until you yeah. and wake it up and then it's whether you want to risk dancing around it every time right. i mean yeah. the th- yeah. one of the key things about this game is it's designed as we've already said it's designed for replay and it's designed for, for speed running i think as mm-hmm. andrew said this yeah and if you ever watch speed runs of these games, it's actually it's not something I would enjoy because I still get really lost and confused in Resident Evil Mansion. Even though I've played it loads of times, I get turned around. I forget which is the east wing, yeah. which is the west wing, how these rooms link up together. And whenever yeah. I watch speed runs, people do this game in like an hour, pl- like an hour and 10, 15, 20, mm-hmm. something like that. And it is so much about just weaving your way between every monster before it even gets a chance to yeah. react to you. Yeah. And I don't like, I don't enjoy that. That's not that's not how I want to play it. I'm mm-hmm. great. You know, it's great that it's there, and me, ultimately that me neither. Yeah. But if I would do it, I would do it on a DS version because you have the map of the game uh, on the top screen at oh, all times, there you and go. it yeah. makes it so much easier to find your way around and yeah. you know exactly where you are at all times. Sean, you saying you'd feel rather you'd you'd rather if they were more consistent? Yeah. Well, I can see what you guys are saying too, but I think there's also still some tension in do I use these bullets or not? So like you mm. could still mm. if it, even though you're you're you know how to take these enemies down. You're still deciding it's a risk reward kind of thing. Do I want to keep, hang on to these bullets these for the later. right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think they could maybe balance it more. But I, I, it, it's not something that like ruins the experience in any way for me. I'm just saying. It's... Sure. The uh, the I might I might need these later things yeah. really going to come into the discussion when we talk about Nemesis and it's oh, making yeah. bullets yeah. mechanic yeah. and then zero and it's you can carry all the items around with you, mm. which is an it, it, OCD it, nightmare. It's <laughs> definitely something that that um, benefits multiple playthroughs, right? So mm-hmm. so this game can feel different for multiple reasons. So the first time you yeah. play through, it's obviously it's it's scary, it's tension. You don't know whether you need to keep these bullets yeah. or do you use them. Yeah. And then the next time is when I don't need to kill this guy. I can, I can avoid these. I'll save this. I'll go straight for that. And it, it's building mm-hmm. a structure that each mm-hmm. time you play it becomes more catered um, yeah. to your skill set and ability to race through the game. Yeah, it's more gamey the more time you play it. So the first yeah. time is more of an experience, an immersive, mm-hmm. immersive thing, your haunted house thing. You don't know the story. The more you play it, the more the more you become aware of the the, the flow chart and the the, the speed running elements, the Metroidvania, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it definitely does reward repeated plays. I think my sort of optimum is like one or two plays where yes. but for a lot of I know a lot of people kind of are happy to just keep going through keep going through until they yeah. know like the the map is in their head which I never get I never get to that point and this is also something Mikami has uh, said in multiple interviews like the first experience is the scary experience and afterwards we let you dominate the game and all of a sudden yeah. nothing is scary anymore infinite rocket launcher the infinite rocket launcher right, and all that yeah. stuff yeah, yeah so it becomes uh, something really fun and cathartic uh, yeah. mm. you know it's almost as if you're dealing with your demons of your first playthrough by aha mm. it's not so scary after all you mm. know Stanshall from the forum says uh, he has some play- uh, Resident Evil memories from the PlayStation I remember going around to my mate's house after school one Friday and playing for about 10 hours straight we managed to get the big snake it's yawn that night howling with laughter at the dialogue and headshots yelling at the TV and each other with the legendary dogs and genuinely soiling ourselves with the hunters it was one of the most intense gaming sessions I can remember with a single player game the next day we hit the wall at plant 42 not realising that you could weaken it with chemicals and we ended up exhausting our entire supply of acid rounds, flame rounds, and all of our ammo. 
and we were stuck, albeit with several spare ink ribbons. I've never checked whether it was possible to somehow get more ammo, but we just accepted our failure quite graciously, shrugged and started the whole thing again. Sadly, my mum came to pick me up before we got too far into our second run. My mate then completed it over the weekend, told me the ending on Monday, and that was that. I've started again a couple of times, most successfully on the impressive DS port, but I've run out of steam on each occasion. There was something glorious about that first shared experience which can't be matched and which I won't forget. Uh, so enemies uh, this is a point that Hunter 30 made that I really liked on the forum Hunter 30 says although zombies weren't exactly an original concept having of course featured heavily in George Romero's films among others they weren't ubiquitous in popular culture the same way they are these days strange to think now that I can single out that first zombie encountered in Resident Evil the one chewing on the unfortunate Kenneth in the corridor as probably the first one I ever killed in a video game since then, I've taken out enough to populate a medium-sized London suburb. It just goes to show the relative obscurity of zombies back then that even Jill and Barry didn't seem to have much idea what they were. Yeah, I mean, I definitely played games with what would have yeah. probably been zombies before that, but again, this was the first game that I can recall where it was a zombie game. Like, this mm. is the game about zombies. There was actually a game, of course, which was updated for the Wii U and then more recently the other consoles called Zombie U on the Wii U, originally just called Zombie and then called Zombie again. That was a zombie game by Ubisoft back in... Um, back in the 80s originally. So yeah. it had happened. It's not, it's not to say that Shinji Mikami and Capcom got there first, but I think for a lot of people, this would have been their first zombie game. And it is now a cliche and yeah. zombies are now you know, a regular part of popular culture <laughs> yeah, with The Walking yeah. Dead comics and TV show and, and whatever huge else. Games video have zombie games. modes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Around, what, 2010 to 2015? Yeah. Like zombie uh, games were... Like and there's more to come. Still, we got yeah. more to come this year. We got now. State of Decay two, and uh, that one that looks just like The Last of Us that I can't remember the name Day's of. Gone. <laughs> Days gone. Yeah, that, Days gone. Resident and so Evil on. still going. And <laughs> so absolutely, yeah. So, but yes, I think again for context, it's worth saying that I guess we just you know we were nowhere near sick of zombies back in 1996. Sure. Far yeah. from it. No. Mm-hmm. It was it was cool to get to play a game with zombies. But now I want them all replaced by sharks with legs. Well, speaking of the other monsters in the game, uh, there's a shark that uh, Neptune that resolutely does not have legs, uh, just as well probably because if it did have legs, drowning it such as without water, have, as yeah. it were, wouldn't wouldn't work. Yeah, the, game, the game would be unwinnable. Yeah, so that's I mean that's quite a good example of combat and puzzles playing um, playing the same game there because you can sort of run around that pool shooting wildly at the uh, the shark and its babies. Mm. Uh, but actually the answer is to uh, run into a particular room uh, once you've worked out which one it is and uh, and drain the, the flooded room of water. Yeah. Again, I remember that. That little bit of FMVs, much as the enter, entry of yeah. the, the the hunter at the time, being incredibly intimidating. Yeah, that, <laughs> and, that was that was the moment that genuinely like really freaked me out. Of I don't know whether I want to continue playing this. And I mean, I, I, Josh is a very similar way, isn't he, on the team? That as soon as sharks <laughs> get involved in a game, yeah, it, it, it's like a, a major worry. Um, a lot of shark haters yeah. for some reason. I, I'd had I'd had jumps through the game, as I'd mentioned, but I'd. That was the moment that had creeped me out with seeing that shark <laughs> and yet, and yet very quickly you can you can render it almost, right you know hilariously yeah. 
un, un dangerous. Yeah, like this, like, like <laughs> this moment for me is almost the polar opposite of the dog moment. So like the dog moment still gets me every time. But yeah. now I know when I walk in this room, okay, this is a shark room. Just run around the corner into that room. Boom, you're done. Like it's, it's like it's remember. really simple now. It's, it doesn't I can do remember anything which anymore. door it was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And, that, and those FMV sequences, like the one with the hunter, like the, their hands and stuff look so mm-hmm. goofy now. Yeah, and the, yeah. the FMV looks pretty murky again. Mm-hmm. We're talking about playing these games on modern LCDs. Maybe it looked better with with, with the, the more correct blacks and stuff of cathode ray tubes that it was designed for. But I think partly it's just the age, the age of the rendering. If you look at, like age. like Carl said, the intros to Tekken and stuff like that now don't look like they did back in, in the mid-90s. So... Huh. Thankfully, there's a remake that we'll come to. <laughs> Alex79UK on the forum says, Resident Evil was such a pivotal part of my gaming history. I'd owned a PlayStation for a little while when a college drinking buddy, who pretty much permanently crashed at my place at the time, brought round a copy of a game I'd never even heard of. Resident Evil. Nope, hang on, you need to do it in the scary voice. Resident Evil. <laughs> He'd already played through it, but we put the disc in and spent the entire night passing the pad and completed the whole game in one sitting. We laughed at the voice acting, spooked ourselves reading the weird notes left around and had an absolute blast gunning down zombies. So many standout moments that, uh, of that game stick in my head, but I'll mention only one. The one that has haunted me for the last 20 years. I have an utterly crippling phobia of frogs. I can't look at photos of them. I can't even think about them without shivering. Even as I type this, I can feel the pangs of anxiety searing through my chest. So when you return from the sheds in the outdoor area, only to be followed by the hunters who look like upright frog people. Oh, my fudging God, what the ruckus is that abomination? <laughs> The fact that they stalk you through the rest of the game lent a sense of terror and dread I have seldom experienced in gaming since. Terrifying, genuinely disgusting and horrible. But despite this, I loved Resident Evil. We should talk about the items and inventory and puzzles. Um, So obviously by design, you have limited inventory slots. Eight for Jill, six for Chris, because, you know, pockets um, or something. Uh, And... (laughs) <clears throat> yeah, only every item, no matter what size it is, takes up one inventory slot. It's not like uh, the the suitcase in four and, and so on. Again, it's something that I'm very kind of um, inured to through years of exposure. Mm. And I've probably got better about not thinking I have to have everything with me at the same time. Like that yeah. was the thing. And, and, and again, that's part of the tension is the I really need to take the bazooka and the magnum with me on this one <laughs> between yeah. between rooms. And no, you probably don't. Nah. But you might do. And you don't know that the first time. And, and sure. that's how it works. I think the biggest problem I have is not with the slots and the one item per slot thing. It's the slowness of jumping in and out of of inventories you know there's mm. like there's a noticeable <coughs> pause and a lag also i'm playing the pal version which again everything is just that bit 15 plus percent slower to do everything including movement by the way and that's you know just mm. adds to the frustration uh it's not a fast-paced game but it all adds up and adds up and so i actually find myself thinking oh i gotta go into the menu again yeah. and, and oh. i remember that being somewhat a problem at the time but it's it's exacerbated with age I wonder Again, if that's uh, uh, if if that's an issue with as you're saying the PAL version versus whatever. So I guess I got what an NTSC mm-hmm. version. Um, so like, because I've noticed that's a comment a lot of, of dealing with Resident Evil is, is people complaining about or not not complaining, but you know having issues with inventory management and having to go right. back and forth in between a menu. And for me, it's like. I never really had that problem because it, it only mm. takes like a second or two. Like I was just pop mm-hmm. in there, combine bullets, mm-hmm. combine herbs and, and, and move on. You know, it's just for, for me, it just, 
it never was it never took up too much time but i mean i guess if it takes that extra couple se- few seconds i guess i understand yeah it is that bit stodgier for sure yeah. uh, fortunately when they re-released two and three on ps3 they they actually released the ntsc versions mm. you can immediately see it if you boot them up because they haven't got massive black borders top and bottom so mm. uh, hopefully uh, it'll be interesting to get the feel of those games uh, mm, this- from from a power perspective this is also really nice about the DS version that, of course, it's cartridge-based, so there's yep. no loading oh, whatsoever, yeah, and yeah, everything yeah. can be skipped, including inventory management. It's really fast and uh, painless. And inventory on a, on a second screen and a map as well? Yeah, definitely. Because m- going to the map is a pain as well. Like, there's yeah. no there's no yeah. shortcut button, so it's... Yeah, yeah so like it's I said, you see, you see the map yeah. at all times on a touch yeah. screen. So, yeah. Lots of reasons to play both uh, the remake and the... And, and if you really want to play the original, I know a lot of people have said... DS version is a good way to to do it now because of those uh, sort of uh, you know smoothings of of things that were perhaps issues that clunkiness of of UI and and whatever else. Um, any issues going back with this, Carl? Do, does it bother you? Are you just too used to it, or do you think you know are they, are these just reasons that people should you know skip this very first version of Resident Evil? I don't have any issues playing it, despite the stuff that even annoyed me at the time. Um, I, I, I have right. a special affinity with this game, so yeah, I, I personally had no issues with the controls. Um, I like the quote-unquote tank controls in general in games, um, and and yeah, I, I still think that it plays well. Certain things would definitely be polished, especially regarding like inventory management. I think when you yeah. play later Resident Evil games, you can see that that that's not so well done. Yeah, mm-hmm. and again, Dead Space really did, uh, you know, such a great job with that stuff as well. I think. Yeah. Mm. Talking about the puzzles specifically, uh, Marco from the forum says this game may have affected me more than I care to admit. I can't play the piano, but I taught myself the opening of Moonlight Sonata just in case. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, that that brings us on to the sort of the nature of uh, some of the puzzles. So, I think there's uh, there, there's a there's not tons of puzzles there's a few objects uh you know sort of sokoban pushing the crate style puzzles working out where to move the crate to there's a few very simple ones which i remember the uh, one of the screenshots in in cmvg at the time was it was the um you know will will i uh, you know should i pull the bath plug out and like the caption underneath mm. was well will i solve the puzzle yes or no it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know do the thing or don't do the thing and <laughs> leave it playing. alone and leave it alone and never come back yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. but then you've got there's a couple which are i think my favorite puzzles in the game which are the ones which are that slightly bit more involved as much as they do uh, necess- uh, necessitate a lot of fannying around with with the inventory and looking at things on the walls and you know all that mm-hmm. stuff actually the it's you know it's not deeply complicated at all, but there's a there's a fairly simple maths puzzle where you're juggling liquids between bottles mm-hmm. yeah. uh, to create a formula to which is uh, the one to weaken the the, yep. the plant forty two. Yeah, um, I remember that very uh, yeah. vividly. Playing that with my together with my brother and trying to work it out, and we were just taking notes and writing down uh, writing down numbers to, to solve it. Yeah, there's another one where you have to switch some coloured lights on to to uh, pass a code-based mm-hmm. alphabet to get a password for a computer. That mm-hmm. seems a little bit more... I think I could have done with more of this kind yep. of stuff. Going back, there doesn't seem to be very much of it at all compared yeah. to Silent Hill or even perhaps <coughs> later, uh, the, well, the mid-era Resident Evil games. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's some more Don't, don't mention Silent Hill. Sean's getting flashbacks to the washing machine. Oh, no, the, the washing, washing machine. machine. <laughs> <laughs> I did um, like the um, 
the painting puzzle too. It's really simple. It's the the whole birth. Uh, what is it? Life, yeah. to life and death uh, puzzle. Yeah, but it's I like. like five I, or there's six. a good atmosphere in that room with all the crows above you, and yeah, and it's a good moment. Yeah, it's I like creepy. I still yeah. think the uh, the the manipulating ob- poly- polygonal objects in 3D again. This this felt like a completely new thing. The idea that there was gameplay in your menu screen does that mm-hmm. does that make sense? Like I don't remember yeah. this thing before where so you you go into inventory and it and you've got you know use check or combine. If you mm-hmm. check something, you can move it around. Now mm-hmm. that you know we were still in the relative early days of texture polygons and all this sort of stuff. Oh, you can zoom items in. Oh, you can you can <laughs> press the interact button. Mm-hmm. You can oh you can rotate the, and then it even changes the item description on the key or it opens up mm-hmm. a book and you find there's something in the book. Mm-hmm. And that stuff felt very fresh and new. And obviously we've seen it since and we know it inside out from this game. But I still think it's cool. Yep. Anyone, anyone really with me? interactive. Yeah, it, it, it kept you aware of things that weren't in your immediate environment. Um, mm-hmm. And there could yeah. be times where you're looking for what you're supposed to do and the whole time it's been in your possession. That's um, right, yeah. Stuff yeah. like that I loved. Um, and I suppose we, we have to mention magical item boxes, item chests, <laughs> uh, because this is something which, again, has become, you know, it's passed into kind of gaming legend. Mm-hmm. At the time, I don't think think i'd seen that mechanic used before and it was a bit weird <laughs> it was like <laughs> what is happening how yeah. does that work and in in the end you just you realize it's a solution and you come to embrace it mm-hmm. but actually the more you think about it the more nonsensical it is the oh more yeah absurd it's, it's it is in this game that yeah, yeah. that's the just as uh, as nonsensical as a merchant that shows up everywhere. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's completely. <laughs> yeah. It's like the most video game part of this video game is that there's this magic box here because everything else it seems like like stuff with inventory management and limited resources. It's like as silly as the game is. It's it's it's, it's an attempt at realism. Like you can only hold right. so many things. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. there's this box that is eternal and, <laughs> no, and yeah passes through. Yeah, it's very odd. And I still get fed up with the whole, because of the limited inventory slot. So in this game, you've got limited saves, limited by the ink ribbons that you collect, which Mm -hmm. I understand the reason for that. And I, unfortunately, I'm an obsessive saver. So for instance, even on my Jill easy playthrough, um, I got through 30 saves in, in in an eight hour game. And I know that um one of the things this was the start of this period where japanese games would because we hadn't had memory cards before as such you just had saves on cartridges this Mm. was i think for me this was the period where games started to kind of grade you on how fast you'd done things and how many times you'd saved and all this stuff and that kind of makes me anxious in itself i feel like it's stop judging me let me play (laughs) let me play how i want to play i remember metal gear solid gives you a run yeah exactly yeah so i have that whole kind of you know self self self-loathing thing going on as well but i also so on top of that i also hate the all right i've saved my game now i have to go back to the item chest and juggle yeah, the items about yeah, before yeah, i leave yeah dump the ink ribbon in there again and yeah then, uh, and then oh you know, you die and you reload, you're safe. Oh, no, I have to dump the ink ribbon again before I go anywhere. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. I find all that stuff a bit of a pain. And it, and it does all add to the tension as well, but in, sure. a, you know, in, a, in an admin way. It's like, do I have to do that admin again? <laughs> yeah. Shooting yeah. the zombies was fun. Admin, not so much. Yeah. Anything else to be said on progress and saving? I know that the sort of the number of ink ribbons you collect varies depending on which version of the game, which mode, which character. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get three, sometimes you get two. Originally, I think you only picked up one at a time in some places. So it was very, very tight. I'm not, I, I can't remember exactly how it works 
I'm, I ended up with several spares in my recent playthrough. Mm-hmm. But I remember at the time, and certainly playing with Chris on the remixed mode in the director's cut, I was already sort of starting to think, mm, getting a bit mm-hmm. low on ink ribbons here yeah. uh, <laughs> and ammo and everything mm. else. I will say it, it, it was honestly probably the the least exciting thing to pick up for me. Like so, like there's that in the so in the main hall. In the main hall, you turn to the right. There's that blue door. You go in there. You move that chest over, and then you come around the corner, and there's a zombie laying there already. And yeah. behind him, like you're like so, he's clearly guarding something, but you can tell he's not dead. So you either you go by him and you take the hit or you, or you kill him or whatever. So you either waste bullets or you take a hit and behind him is just an ink rib. And I was like, Oh, come on. Like, why did I waste? <laughs> like, I, I'd rather have kept the health in the bullets than get, you know, more ink ribbons. So it was just my least favorite item to find, but I don't understand. Yeah. Necess- necessary though. Sure. Um, and I suppose that, uh, yeah, that sort of makes me think of the whole, the, the whole resource management and the drip feeding of bullets. There's that whole kind of, um, like you know, if you've played it before, that Kenneth has two mags on him, two clips. When mm-hmm. when you first find him, you don't necessarily then they're, they're kind of hidden. I think the idea is that they're in his coat or whatever. Yeah, you have to you, you know you mm. search for him twice, yeah. and that's a sort of uh, a left up to the player thing in the first mm-hmm. place. But you're thinking, if I go back, I need to kill this zombie. This will take me this many bullets. Plus, of course, you can do if you're willing to carry your combat knife, you can yep. mm-hmm. shoot them to take them down and then slice them when they're Size on the floor. That's what the good players do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I avoid combat knife use as far as possible because it usually ends up in me getting munched. Yeah, um, but that whole yeah, that because whole... they don't reel back enough, right? You just slash yeah. them and they'll yeah. still lunge at yeah. you. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's yeah. So if I can kill this this zombie with uh, six bullets, and then I get two clips of fifteen, you know, I've made a profit kind of right. thing. So there's a lot yeah. of that kind of gameplay. Uh, Tadinho says despite some aspects having aged terribly like the graphics and voice acting the core design is really strong having to carefully manage your finite resources with a limited inventory space is what is at the core of the game even your saves are limited and something you have to earn by exploring the mansion which adds a layer of tension through the whole game not only in those moments where you're looking for a save point but also every time you're about to save you think should I really save now or can I push it a bit more exploration is also a core part of the game it's something that you both dread and need to do because behind every door might be a new monster or scare but also might have a new key item you need to progress the game takes full advantage of that by having the iconic door transitions between rooms elevating the tension every time you go through a door so how do you chaps feel about the door transitions because i remember finding them quite irritating in 1996 i've sort of got used to them by now mm. but i kind of wish they were skippable they're obviously there for two reasons one is to supposedly to add tension which doesn't really work so much anymore yeah. uh, but obviously they mask loading but it's kind of frustrating on playing it on a ps1 download on the ps3 that you know the loading should be yeah. basically yeah. it should it should all be in ram mm. and you still have That's- to it's obviously a hardcore duration, isn't it? That's to cover right. Cover the yep. uh, longest mm. possible time for caching on a PS One, and as a result, Double when CD you play it speed, now, yeah. it has yeah. to be the same amount of time because That's it's it. a specifically time duration. But yeah. um, I like the fact that the doors changed as you went through, so it, it yeah. kept that consistency. Um, so that when it was like uh, the metal door to the garden, it would change, or the uh, yeah. a gated door and that kind of thing. I, I, yeah. I did appreciate that that it didn't just use the same generic door um, yes. and I, I did spend the whole time playing it wondering if a zombie was going to come out in a cutscene 
Um, yeah. So, so yeah. that was something. That was I remember maybe that the, feeling, the yeah. edge of tension. Um, because that, thinking, that blackness of the door where you... Yeah. yeah. And there's, opens, the, right? there's the the mansion front door cutscene right, yeah. as well, where the, <laughs> yeah. the, the terribly poor-looking dog tries to come <laughs> in through, and they they had fun with that in the remake as well. But like, there the, the, the definitely is a point where you start seeing them all the time, especially... Um, you know, I mentioned earlier about backtracking through the house, and whilst I do enjoy well-designed backtracking, um, it comes to the point where the more doors that are open, the more you have to go through when you're returning yeah. through. So you start seeing door, 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 door all yeah, the time. Yeah, that yeah. That's where it gets to me. Yeah. Yeah, back then I thought they were a pretty genius way to cover up uh, loading times instead of having a little bar uh, on yeah. the screen uh, on, a, on a splash screen or whatever. True. So I thought that was really cool and it did add to the tension. And now I'm just grateful to, again, have been, uh, having played the DS version because they're actually completely skippable uh, mm. in uh, that version. You just hit nice. the A, a button and you bypass the, the, the door or the staircase uh, animation. Sweet. One thing I really wanted to mention was the uh, collectible notes, because what I find I still find bizarre about this is we've talked about the dialogue in the cutscenes and the FMV and how appalling it is. But yet the flavor text in the files is like perfectly fine. It's, it's, it's fairly well written. It's sometimes. fairly well written yeah. and, mm-hmm. and nicely translated. And again, iconic, but like the itchy tasty that Sean referenced right at the start of the show. Mm-hmm. That's not iconic because it's. Just, well, I mean, it is sort of funny, but it's meant to be funny. It's like mm-hmm. it's intentionally creepy and amusing. Yeah. yeah. And and like I would still have that. I would love a T-shirt with that on, you know, because it's, <laughs> it's still it's iconic and it's cool. Mm-hmm. And I think the, that note is called uh, the Keeper's Diary. That's right. Like Keeper's that, right? Diary. Yeah. And yeah. there's the one from. Yes, yeah, there's, there's 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 a few throughout the game. And that's probably the most famous one. But there's the one from. Uh, is it Martin Crackhorn and uh, and a few others uh, talking about the plant and stuff? And yeah, they're they're like they, there's that it's sense like... of panic, isn't there? Of oh god, I'm stuck here. There's the one after you've done the piano puzzle, and mm. it's it's like I'm not getting out of this. You know, mm. hopefully someone can send this message on. And um, they were a nice backing tale. And there was famously the blood on the wall text, wasn't there? That was taken out sort of the eleventh mm. hour yes. as as additional right. story storytelling, mm. which predates what we've expected from Valve games. Um, but yeah. but having these little documents littered around definitely added a, mm. an extra depth to the events that have gone on prior to you arriving. Yeah, mm. yes, those were the uh, the audio logs of the time. Yeah. Yes, very much so. So this was also one of the earlier games I remember. I'm sure there had been others, but uh, it's one of the early ones I remember, as well as doing the the thing of sort of grading you on your performance throughout the game in, in some way. It also had multiple endings. And uh, actually, it, again, it doesn't necessarily spell out the trigger points to mm-hmm. change the ending. So there's effectively, uh, is it eight endings? Four, I mean, there's four endings, but there's two characters so it so it's effectively eight but um it depends on which sort of which actions you've taken throughout the game now did anyone who uh played this game like i've never deliberately gone for a better ending or whatever uh, i've ended up i end up with the endings i get uh, there's two good endings two bad endings um depending on stuff like is it stuff whether you... Um, if you want to get the best ending, you have to... Re- as Chris, you have to rescue Jill from her holding yeah. cell. And yep. as Jill, you have to rescue Chris from his holding cell. And that 
con- that uh, involves some extra searching yeah. and backtracking, some extra puzzling. Mm. So That's it's right. kind of kind of an optional thing to do. Uh, and in especially in Chris's case, trying to save Jill is uh, is quite adds quite the extra challenge as yeah, almost yeah. everything in Chris's campaign does. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, yeah, is is the, is that all? Is that all it's based on? There well, seem to be other things that can change. Like I don't. Uh, so I might be getting this wrong, but mm. Rebecca does ask you, like, do you want me to come along with you or not? That's Even right. though she totally doesn't come along with you, she just no, pops says, in oh, here just and be there. Here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I wonder now. I wonder if you say no, if that if that makes some kind of difference in the uh, at least in the endings. I'm like. I can't be too sure. I can't remember. Is it because is it possible to avoid? Because like Wesker gets straight up killed in one version, but he's we know he comes back. Barry dies, but not necessarily. He can get out. I can't remember yeah. what the the sort of conditions for avoiding or you know getting getting yeah, past these things. It's decision based, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And um, yeah, it's even uh, it's it's even varies whether if you're playing on the I think uh, Jill on the. On the standard setting, you don't even have to finish the tyrant off on the roof. The helicopter just comes and gets you. That's it. It's kind of thing. yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, cool stuff. Uh, um, the aim of the developer was for players to see the best ending after three to four playthroughs. So uh, yeah, you can just keep running through it, um, but yeah. you wouldn't necessarily want to do that now. I assume that's all been recreated in the remake, uh, or obviously without the FMV and probably with some other elements to it. It's very funny when I think about this now because this seems to be. A Capcom company uh, philosophy uh, yeah. to encourage replaying mm-hmm. of uh, games. I mean, the the Makaimura or the Ghosts and yes. Goblins games uh, do do it as a requirement, <laughs> basically. Yeah. But then you've got the Devil May Cry's, and later, you know, that DNA is still in Platinum mm-hmm. Games as games as well, where they're actually actually designed for replays in new games plus and uh, and the likes. Yeah, Sean S. Thomas from the canorince.com forum says I was a bit baffled by Resident Evil when I played it as a 17 year old I'm probably even more baffled by it as an adult it's such a melding of ideas and influences that shouldn't work but somehow do it felt at the time like a Japanese take on a Hollywood blockbuster through an approximation of western culture leading to its B-movie atmosphere the composite elements shouldn't gel live action cutscenes featuring stunted performances zombie horror a weird mansion that would be hard to go from room to room in if you lived there double agent spies strange controls stranger camera angles evil corporations oversized animals bizarre nonsensical puzzles a lab run by a mad scientist an obligatory self-destruct sequence a final foe who won't die and a melodramatic escape and yet perhaps due to the sheer madcap bizarreness of it all it all hangs together and lives long in the memory the one part that blew me away at the time was playing the game as different characters and having alternate experience i love that multiple playthroughs yielded greater and greater rewards and outcomes in hindsight as is often the way with games compared to films or music almost every facet of this title was executed better in subsequent sequels whether it be the scares replay value action or storyline but the original threw so much into the mix that many ideas developed here merely got repeated and the story had nowhere to go that's why it'll always be the resident evil game that i remember the most acutely and the most warmly probably not alone there so yeah along with the remake this is the only biohazard game to feature a best case scenario ending which uh, doesn't allude to a possible sequel or a spin-off <laughs> um so yeah if you do everything just right you can sort of have an ending that suggests 
yeah, it's all it's all sorted. Everything's fine. Um, <laughs> possibly because they didn't know that the first game was going to be a hit, so they might never have continued the series. The original Japanese version, Biohazard, played an ending song with Japanese lyrics during the closing credits. Check it out on YouTube. Uh, it's exclusive to that version of the game and has been replaced in all subsequent versions, including the Japanese director's cut by an instrumental theme. Uh, it's extremely cheesy, as you'd expect. Uh, so, yeah, complete the game in under three hours for the infinite rocket launcher and have yourself uh, a fun time on, on replay. Um, there's also, of course, extra costumes, uh, which you can get without the special key in the director's cut. Uh, different costumes, possibly. Um, I remember, again, this being the start of this sort of trend for cosmetic reward. Um, which I yeah I, I can't really think had been such a big deal in in previous eras. Again, I guess it's the memory card facilitating mm -hmm. this sort of uh, this sort of stuff. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, neat. But I, I I think for some people it's quite a big deal the whole cosmetic uh, sort of improvement, whether it's uh, like a badge of honor because you're wearing one of the unlocked costumes, or whether it's for the sheer novelty of it. I don't know. But was this ever a major motivator to any of you? Never. No. <laughs> um, no. My my enjoyment was just to keep going back through the games. Like the unlockable stuff was was never something that overly appealed to me in Resident Evil. Yeah. Mm -hmm. K sub zero one thousand from the forum says, "I suppose I am a bit of an odd duck in the sense that while I do consider myself to be a massive Resident Evil fan, I never quite warmed to the original Resident Evil." My complete lack of nostalgia might be a factor. I didn't grow up around home consoles at all. The GameCube was the first one I ever owned, and everything before that was uncharted territory to me. I first played the Resident Evil games around 2006, and while all the others, including 2 and 3, quickly secured themselves a place in my personal gaming pantheon, the first one just felt rickety and contrived by comparison. The voice acting is just painful to listen to in this one. The controls are stiff and the environment strangely lifeless, especially in the tunnel section. The few things that it does right, like the sense of locale, the iconic jump scares and layered item management were all improved upon in the remake. I've completed it three times overall and I regret to say that every playthrough left me with a very lukewarm feeling, like I was playtesting something unpolished and with a lot of untapped potential. I am obviously very grateful for it paving the way for so many future classics and I can totally appreciate the impact it must have had on so many young players at the time of release, but whenever the time for my yearly series playthrough approaches, this is the one that I will gladly leave behind without a second thought. Resident Evil is an important and influential game, albeit quite mediocre when judged on its own merit. The fact that a full-fledged expanded remake came out only six years later and has since been used as the official face of the mansion incident leads me to think that Mikami-san and others might have felt the same way. While reading other people's thoughts on it on here and on the general internet, I get the sense that the bulk of its appreciation seems rooted in pure nostalgia and endearing childhood memories. The game obviously means a lot to people and launched one of the medium's top franchises. For that alone, I'm glad it exists. I think uh, our friend Camille may be onto something in, in some aspects there. I think it's obviously it's going to be hard for us, those of us who were there, all yeah. four of us on this show, to completely separate it. And, well, we'll come to our recommendations or not uh, shortly. Just wanted to talk about some other versions. We already mentioned the PC CD-ROM version. Uh, not too much to say other than I think the uh, uncensored uh, FMV was available on that disc. Possibly in colour as well. 
Uh, it came out in December 96 in Japan and September 97 in uh, America and Europe. And as we say, it was handled by Westwood, the Command and Conquer studio in America. Uh, the Saturn version obviously is of some interest. It was uh, quite a big deal that it happened at all. Uh, the Saturn was already uh, starting to really struggle by late 97. The uh, game did get a conversion done in-house and all that. Uh, it was released before the director's cut. Um, the polygon uh, elements of the graphics were arguably inferior due to the Saturn not having quite the same power of uh, with polygons. Uh, I guess the backdrops were pretty similar. Um, different alternate costumes as an incentive, I guess, to multiple buyers or a treat for Saturn owners. Uh, but perhaps the most significant element was the survival mode which contained three new monsters, including a gold tyrant and a zombified Wesker, and sort of paved the way for the mercenaries and other similar modes that have really featured in a lot of the games uh, going forward, including even things like the hunk mode in um, in Resident Evil 2 and stuff like that. So uh, it's worth at least looking at a video of that being played. It's uh, got distinct stages. Uh, you choose your loadout and then you run off into a set of predefined areas and um, shoot everything, basically. Uh, Suits from the forum says it was Christmas 1997. I was 13 and I'd been gifted a PlayStation by my parents. Most of my family had been had all been in on the noise that I was getting a really expensive new computer system and all clubbed in and bought me games. The only game that I demanded was Doom. The others were all potentially the first title that someone picked up was the cheapest or whatever was billed as the biggest game that Christmas. I actually ended up with 10 games at Christmas, which looking back, although I received literally nothing else, was spoiled rotten. I have an older sister who had a slightly older boyfriend, making them about 15, I suppose. My sister is pretty chill and would often come up after she'd got home from being out and relax by watching me play whatever game I was playing. One day, her boyfriend popped up to say hi and was pawing over my new PlayStation. He saw Resident Evil and asked me if I'd played it yet. I said no. It didn't seem interesting. He was well keen. From then on, we spent the next week camped up in the loft room playing it. There would often be six or seven of us up there, made up of my friends, my sister and her lot, all experiencing this game in such an involved fashion, just watching me play, yet all feeling involved. Funnily enough, I didn't actually know or appreciate that I would need a memory card, neither did my parents, so we were resigned to starting over every time we wanted to play it. My father was fuming when I asked him for a memory card and refused blind after spending £400 on a new console and didn't want to hear my reason for asking for more. My legendary sister took me into Romford and brought me a new memory card from That's Entertainment in Romford Arcade. Such wonderfully happy times. As regards to the actual game, I love it dearly. I've not gone back and played the original, original game since the PS1 era, though I did play the DS version, Deadly Silence, in 2009. There's an awful lot to be said about that about the game though once you know and expect the flow of exploration puzzles and story. I find going back to it hard to get that invested in as much as other games I go back to and does seem rather simplistic maybe. Although I think someone going for it for the first time would still find it challenging, captivating and enjoyable. That mansion, tank controls, ECGs and the save room music make this most certainly one of the most important games I've ever played. Far from perfect maybe but certainly essential to me. Thank you Sean. And uh, the director's cut then, we've already mentioned it quite a lot, came out in September 97 in Japan and America. We had to wait until December for the PAL version. It's the version I've been playing. There was also a uh, DualShock version, uh, which is the one with the alternative soundtrack and obviously added rumble support for the, the new uh, fancy controllers. Uh, so... As we said, the, we were supposed to get an uncensored version, but we didn't due to what uh, has been attributed to a localization error. 
very strange, um, particular, yeah, very unusual situation that was because um, the magazines had, were saying, and at last in Europe and America, you're going to get the uncensored version. The original sleeve for the game even had uncensored on the back of it. Uh, and then they had to reprint the sleeves because it wasn't. So uh, it's only the uh, Virgin PC version in America that has all the FMV, uh, the uncensored stuff, and it's in color as well. Uh, whereas the original Japanese PlayStation version was in black and white in the style of uh, the original Romero zombie film, I guess. Uh, the director's cut came out in uh, autumn 98, never came, uh, the DualShock version that is, never came to PAL. Uh, I guess they felt it was one one release too far, uh, and that was the one with the uh, controversial soundtrack. The Japanese release included a bonus disc known as the Complete Disc in the place of the Resident Evil 2 demo, which contained downloadable save data and gameplay footage from the scrapped version of Biohazard 2. Hmm. Don's Beard says, I can remember seeing Resident Evil for the first time on PS1. A friend who lived over the road had a PS1 and he had rented this horror game, so we gathered round to watch him play it. It's a familiar tale we're hearing here. I remember the opening cutscene and was amazed by the graphics and the opening into the main hall at the beginning. My friend was killed by the very first zombie as we didn't think about running back into the hall where Baza Burton was. My days were then spent trying to get round to his to try to see more of this amazing game. He was a couple of years older than me, so I had to discover alcohol and women, so he wasn't in much. <laughs> Fast forward a couple of year, a couple of months, and another friend had uh, had some birthday money. I could never in a million years afford a PS1 back then. I was waiting for the N64 and knew I would not be able to get both, and he had a choice. A, buy Resident Evil, or B, buy a memory card, as he got a PS1 for his birthday, but no card. I managed to persuade him to get no memory card, so he spent many evenings playing Resident Evil, but with literally no way of saving it. I imagine this was like a harder version of Dark Souls. We made it as far as Fang over the course of several nights before he decided enough was enough and begged his parents to get him a memory card, which they did. Together we finally made it through this incredible game as Jill saving the legend that is Barry Burton, cannot do it without saying it in the intro man's voice, sorry, Barry Burton, and headed off into the sun after defeating the tyrant. It's a strange it's strange looking back that this is one of my all-time top games, but I never owned it until after Resident Evil 2 came out. And the music, the music, the calmness of the save room music was needed. It is a game that is heavily memed nowadays, master of unlocking, etc. But at the time was a masterpiece for me. Uh, so this is it's slightly unclear, but it, we have to mention it. Biohazard Dash. Um, this came from an interview in Dengeki PlayStation with uh, Yoshiki Okamoto, overseer of development for all Capcom games. Uh, it's unclear as to whether this was a sub-scenario of the Resident Evil 1.5, as it became known, which we'll discuss in the Resident Evil 2 podcast, or whether this was in, at some point maybe briefly intended as a standalone game. Biohazard Dash, says Okamoto-san, was thought of between the development of Biohazard 1 and Biohazard 2. The starting point of the scenario is that there exists a room underneath the Tyrant's incubation room. The story of the game unfolds three years after the events of Resident Evil. The characters are different and this time the infected plants have attacked the inhabitants of Raccoon City. The victims have changed partially into plants. It's as if everyone is slowly transforming into some plant. <laughs> the developer wanted to use the same areas that were in Biohazard 1 but with cracks, spiders webs etc added in order to indicate the flow of time as well as some new rooms. But this would have taken too much time to be developed and the release of Biohazard 2 would have been pushed back so the idea of Biohazard Dash was abandoned. 
Yeah, so it does sound like it may have been a separate release, although it doesn't quite explain how. Uh, I guess it plays on from the bad endings, because in the good ending, you nuke the mansion, don't you? So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there was a nearly complete, something like 90% complete version for the Game Boy Color, uh, developed in London by Hot Gen Studios. Uh, you can watch a playthrough of this. I think you can get the ROM probably of, of such as it is. Um, yeah. I've, I've looked at it. I mean, it's like it's probably the version, uh, not a version you'd want to play now. And probably if you'd had a PlayStation 1 then, you'd have just played the PlayStation version. But if you'd only had a Game Boy Color, it looks like they did a pretty darn impressive job of trying mm-hmm. to cram what was a fairly state-of-the-art home console game onto a a fairly underpowered 8-bit handheld back in the day. Is that fair? Visually, technically incredible that they managed to do it on the Game Boy Color and also something that it never looks like I want to play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, agreed, agreed. Shenzhen88, a new poster from the forum, says, I was late coming onto the PlayStation of genera- generation of gaming. Uh, this is also a familiar story because they were really expensive. Uh, I guilted my parents into getting a PlayStation bundle with Crash Bandicoot 2 and Final Fantasy 7, but I struggled to really get into the games on offer in my ignorant eight-year-old mind. That was until an eventful day when I went to see my teenage cousin, Mark. There's always a slightly older person involved in all these stories as well, I noticed. <laughs> he was playing Resident <laughs> Evil 1 and I was enamoured. I hadn't been introduced to horror movies yet, but I was hypnotised by everything this game offered. The sublime, creepy music, the maddening, twisting mansion, the seemingly unstoppable zombies, the angst-rising door animation. It was my introduction to the world of survival horror. I eventually managed to get a platinum edition copy for myself, thanks responsible parents. I was that taken by it. I must have played it only once or twice before putting it down for a good few years. The purely solo horror experience and the difficulty was too much for my little mind to take. I even had a few night terrors from playing. My copy stood on my shelf for a good few years before I eventually plucked up the courage to revisit Spencer Mansion again after becoming acclimatised to the horror genre through movies and books. What followed was a B-movie-esque extravaganza, with mutants, puzzles and guns that swallowed me up and spat me back out. I fell in love with the awkwardness involved from the crazy mansion-cum-laboratory experiments gone wrong to the wonderful tank controls. I think the difficulty gets overlooked. In times of unlimited or rechargeable health and ammunition, it's easy to forget that you only had so many bullets to get through the game. There were a few times that I bricked myself ammo-wise because I tried to take on all zombies without thinking tactically, and so I had to restart. When you come up against the nearly invincible hunters, it's a problem to say the least. I think that was part of the charm. It was always you against the game with a proto Dark Souls don't moan, get good attitude behind it. Does original Resi deserve its spot as the game that popularised survival horror? Definitely. The creativity involved in sculpting a death trap like Spencer Mansion with iconic video game characters and moments earns this game a spot in gaming Hall of Fames. The nightmare and affection that it spawned within me have never gone away, and it lit a match to my love for the franchise. Does this original game hold up on its own two feet after all this time, though? I can't say yes. It's only nostalgia that carried me through my reasonably recent replay. The god-awful but endearing voice acting, the throwback graphics and strict save system will only put off modern gamers. I do have a big soft spot for the Deadly Silence re-release on the DS because the technology of that console actually added to the original Resi experience. If people want to try out this game, but the barebones PS1 era game was made redundant by the sublime remake, which raises the bar in every way. As an originator, original Resident Evil deserves its place in history, but as a game played today with its own mechanisations with countless re-releases, sequels and even a remake to boot, it's best left to the history books. Right, which brings us neatly on to that DS version, which came out in 2006, January in Japan, February in America, March in PAL territory. We all got the same version, I think, this time. And uh, thanks to our 
Patreons, patreon.com slash uh, we got a copy of this for Mikhail to try out in advance of this podcast. So uh, what did you make of Deadly Silence? I agree with Shenzhen88 was saying. It's, uh, it's a really nice way to revisit the original pre-remake. Uh, yeah, yeah, gotcha. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, and, and this is this is funny because it was, I think originally the criticism uh, towards this game wasn't very favorable because mm. of course we've had the, the GameCube remade already. So, you know, Some why would before. you... Yep. Why would you? Why would you play the old version on uh, on a DS with with uh, touchscreen uh, mini yeah. gimmicks, uh, so to speak? Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it was really it was really uh, really pleasant uh, delving into this one because um, f- first and foremost, it looks quite crisp on a small screen, and I think they also made mm. some stress. It's less pixelated and less blocky than if yeah. you look at uh, videos on a larger screen for, uh, of the uh, PS1 original. So it looks all a bit sharper and crispier. Um, and yeah, all the FMV is in there and the, the computer-generated uh, FMV. And yeah. um, I think there is maybe a, some sort of color limitation uh, going on or some compression. Right. But it's not an ugly, blocky compression. It's almost like they just took out certain colors. Mm. which gives it an almost stylized look. Yeah, uh, right. You know, like just a smaller color palette, but not done in an ugly way. Mm. Uh, and that goes for the pre-rendered backgrounds as well as the uh, as the FMVs. So mm. it's, uh, I find it very pleasant to interact with and to revisit the original game. Uh, yeah, like uh, before the remake uh, was done. And... There's two ways you can play it. You can play the uh, the rebirth mode, yeah. which has additional uh, touchscreen uh, naturally, yeah. naturally, because uh, that was you know that that had to be in there. And it also has these little scenes in which you look through. Uh, it might almost be a callback to uh, yeah uh, what you were saying about the first person mm. uh, shooty uh, bits, uh, uh, supposedly having been a consideration in development. Yeah, but but this is. These are first-person stabby bits. So you, uh, yes. all of a sudden, you enter the, the blue door that Sean mentioned, for example. If you enter that the first time with the, the statue with with, with uh, the water jug, there's uh, in, instead of seeing the the normal overview of that room, all of a sudden you're eye to eye with uh, with two or three zombies that attack you in succession. So mm. you just slash and stab at the screen. Uh, yeah, fairly gim- gimmicky. Not not my preferred way of how I would uh, replay the whole game. But I did, of course, try it out because I wanted to be able to speak uh, speak about this on uh, on this recording, mm. this podcast. And but it's yeah, you you can play the the original game as it was intended as well all the way through, uh, just in the palm of your hand, and have a lot of comfortable uh, alterations in there, like uh, I mentioned before the yeah. skip skippable loading animations and the uh, you're having your map on screen mm. at all times, and just uh, it's a very pleasant and brisk way to replay the original version. Oh, quite appealing. Uh, I suppose that this might end up being eclipsed if Capcom sees fit to bring the remake HD remaster to Switch. That would be quite nice. But uh, until yeah. then, this is a good handheld version of Yeah, Resident I think Evil. specifically if you want to experience the original version. Yes, good way to do yeah. it. Nice. Yeah. Good job. Thanks, everybody. Hunter30 says, I rarely replay games these days, partly because of time and partly because there seems to be a greater array vying for attention. 
Back in the mid-90s, as a teenager who relied on birthdays, Christmases, and the occasional trade-in as a way of refreshing my game library, it was a different story. I must have played through this 10-plus times, including several goes while armed with the rocket launcher and infinite ammo. It was my best friend that introduced me to the game. I can remember sitting in his bedroom and watching that intro for the first time, the typewriter spelling out Raccoon Forest, the eerie music, the narration. Oh, and the killer zombie dogs. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before in a video game, filling me with, with both dread and awe. As I got older, the B-movie sensibility and dodgy acting became rather more obvious. Back then, it was mind-blowing. I'd always loved ghost stories growing up and was starting to get into horror fiction in a big way, devouring books by the likes of James Herbert and Stephen King. This game fed the same dark parts of my imagination, an interactive, immersive, haunted house experience. Thank you for all your long-form correspondence uh, on the forum. Keep it coming, canorince.com slash forum. But we also, via Twitter, follow us at canorince. Have some reviews in just three words. David Musgrove said, clunky door loading. Steve Norman says, awful inventory management. Rookadoodles, best worst dialogue. The Todino, what a mansion. Stanshaw, a dining room. Sean S. Thomas, no, don't go. Sean Stacko, Jill Sandwich, please. Andy Corrigan, Sunglasses at Night. Dorian Rogers, Dog's Window Shocker. And Richard Atwood, Quintessential B-Movie. Alex79 UK, Kazimoth, Alan Wilkinson, and the Cinema Cephalopod say, all say Master of Unlocking. Yeah, well done. So let's see if we can sum up our feelings towards the original 1996 Biohazard or Resident Evil in just uh, a few words. See if we'd recommend this version or whether we'd recommend <coughs> something else. Yeah, and just sum up our general feelings towards it. Let's start with Sean. Um, yeah, I think uh, Mikhail said earlier he uh, mentioned this as a perfect storm of uh, development. And I kind of agree. It, it's just like so many things came together in in such a way to make this one specific experience and in 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 doing so they defined a genre they defined a, a system in playstation like i think they were a big you know resident evil i think a lot of people put those two together and and i think they defined so many things about games and since then and you know obviously like we, when we break it down you know we can say it's not like the most original thing in the world you know, it's taking elements from all these other genres and 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 film and, and all types of stuff, but it, but it ends up being it's a very specific experience, and um, I don't think that if you're just, to just play the remake, um, that you'd get the same experience. It's it's a different, mm. it's a totally different beast, and mm. I think you're, there's still way there. There are obviously things that are probably going to bug people who haven't played a game like this before with the tank controls or the inconsistent tone or whatever. But for me, like, I don't know. It just kind of all came together in just a, a perfect storm. And um, it's one of my favorites of all time. And I'm, I'm so glad that it exists. And I'm so glad that it, it gave us, you know, more more of this franchise. You know, it, it goes ups and downs, of course. Uh, you know, we already mentioned Raccoon City, but there's also Resident Evil 4 and Resident Evil 7. Like, it just... It's it's such an important game to to the medium and to mm. and to entertainment in general. It even sparked a, a you know really popular, albeit not very good, <laughs> um, film franchise. <laughs> like you know, it's just such an important piece of work, and and to see it all kind of come together in this one really bizarre uh, um, debut is is fascinating and really cool. And I would definitely recommend anybody uh, give it a shot on whatever platform you can. Yeah, for me, Resident Evil represents. Uh, uh, it was it was an exciting thing because it seemed to me like it was 
the sort of transition between a, a direction that I was really worried games were going in, which was the interactive movie, FMV, CD-ROM nonsense nightmare that I really had no interest in whatsoever, especially with the production values being what they were. And actual video games by great developers like Capcom, it felt like it was somewhere, it was some kind of marriage between, you know, this uh, this great you know, developer of, of many sort of pure, you know, 8 and 16-bit arcade type games experiences and this sort of new uh, cinematic sort of direction that games were able to go in due to the technology that was arriving. And yeah, at the time, the graphics looked amazing. The voice acting was funny even at the time. Uh, and yeah, the, the the flow of the gameplay was was excellent, although I found it quite stressful back at the time. Um, because it was that much scarier. Now I still find it a little bit, uh, it makes me a little bit tense to play through, especially with Chris, with the fewer inventory slots mm -hmm. uh, and the remix mode. But I still very much enjoy playing this game as Jill, actually. It's uh, it's it's a good time. I do get a bit bogged down with the, the hiatuses uh, between screens and, and, um, and when you go in and out of the maps and the menus and stuff like that. I could definitely do with that being all a bit slicker. But there is a certain charm it may purely be nostalgia that this particular version has and i absolutely recommend the re uh, the remake and we'll be recommending that on that show as well no doubt um and i think like i got at the time i got more into resident evil 2 when that first came out i was i was you know really well into just caning that one whereas this took me a couple of goes to actually get into it but it does still have it retains for me a certain sort of a little X factor, a little magic that some of the other games in the series don't have. And I think maybe as much as anything, that's the setting, that particular setting of the creepy old mansion above the the sinister uh, corporation's science laboratory. So for all the idiocy and delivery of the, the, the dialogue and the drama, <laughs> the actual, the basic plot and those bits of flavor text still give this game something of an atmosphere that's actually worth kind of indulging in. I think most of it is still there in the remake and and then some in, in some ways. So I don't necessarily, to go back to purely digital controls, also, unless you get original hardware, there's no way of playing this optimally because either you're playing the DualShock version with the, with the, 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 the awful soundtrack on the American PS3 or you're playing the slower bordered PAL version on the PS3 in, in Europe so uh, you need to actually play it on a PlayStation or there's that sound what sounds like a decent alternative with the DS version so I don't strongly recommend that people go back and play this if they haven't played it before or even maybe if they have but uh, really important game and, and yeah one that I retain a good deal of affection for. So in 2001, I was uh, on uh, a forum, uh, which was my basically the only forum I was subscribed to for a couple of years. Uh, and it wasn't a gaming forum, but uh, yeah, a forum mostly centered around music. And there was a tech, a tech discussion section on there. And the question in there was asked, what are your top 10 
video uh, favorite video games uh, of mm. all time. And among my top 10 were games like Super Mario World, uh, Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, Street Fighter 2, basically my formative Super Nintendo games, but also Resident Evil. Mm. Maybe as the years were, with the years passing, I would not have necessarily put Resident Evil in my top 10 anymore. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, as an original experience, as the my original experience, I think it made a huge impact on me first and foremost and next to everything we've discussed throughout uh the episode so far and with all the excellent correspondence from uh from the the listeners i think we've we've come close to paint quite a complete uh picture of what makes up resident evil hope so yeah and and it just struck me again as how horror as a let's say only uh an audiovisual theme can just help to ramp up the tension of a video game so quickly. Um, and I, I was reminded of that uh, playing the DS version late at night on the, the silly little screen and just having a laugh at the cutscenes, running through rooms, uh, which I was very well, well familiar here with. But then uh, having almost my second dog scare moment, because mm-hmm. I was playing Chris's campaign, and I wasn't. I'm not as familiar with Chris's campaign as I am with Jill's. Yeah. And there's a second dog uh, window jump moment. Uh, if if you're uh, quite near to the moment where you uh, meet Rebecca for the first time, yeah. which completely caught me off guard. Mm. And afterwards, I started playing through the game quite anxious, and I could feel my heart <laughs> pounding in my chest. Uh, Classic. In the, the dark, the darkened living living room. I had completely underestimated how how tension-inducing and how scary this old rickety game still can be. Yeah. Be- before doing this this podcast, I never thought I would actually return to the mm. original version of yeah. Resident Evil because it, it's one of those things where I felt like the remake had made the original pretty much obsolete, maybe safe for... Uh, the only thing I missed about the original version was the stupid voice acting, basically. <laughs> yeah. And just playing a game just purely for nostalgia is not something I usually do. I play a lot of older games or replay a lot of older games, but I usually have other motives or I um, or there's something mechanically that isn't quite replicated in other games that I miss uh, in in uh, newer or more, more modern games. Uh, but that's not the case with Resident Evil, the original version, because it has been... Yeah, those controls and everything have definitely been improved upon. And I never wanted... Uh, or, or I didn't feel the need for this uh, episode to really go back to the original version because it was a similar deal with flashback for me and we've uh, talked about this a little bit in our uh, green room or pre pre recording of where there's a similarity with uh, flashback which we uh, did a podcast on last year mm. and uh, and also the carefully created single screens that you walk through in the, in that game as well which sort of get imprinted in your memory in a sense and and, yeah. and never really lo- never really uh disappear from there so it, it's still one of those games that it's incredibly lives incredibly vivid in my memories despite not having played this version since maybe the, the late 90s there's a certain a- atmosphere in the original version that's not in the remake i've come to discover you know like the yeah. remake is darker uh, even more foreboding even scarier i don't know what it is about the the original Resident Evil. It's there's a little bit of warmth there that is not in a remake. I guess it's maybe a way to subscribe it. Is Resident Evil, after all, a formative game for me? I I'd say so in terms of impact, and I would definitely recommend anybody that's curious 
about the original version to replay it. I would also, yeah, seeing as how pleasant it had been to revisit it in the form of the DS version, I would also really recommend people to go for that one with all, mm. its com- all the comforts it brings. Even on the DS. Excellent. Yep. Right, let's conclude with Carl. I'm going to be riffing a little bit on what Leon and uh, Michael just said there, that there is no real ideal version to be playing this on. Uh, that makes it a little bit awkward when it comes to the recommendation of it. And we've all really been talking primarily on our our feelings and memories of originally playing on it and then backing it up with what it's like to go back today. And mm. going back today is never going to match up to the impressions that we first had two decades ago when we mm. first experienced this game. Yeah. And this is where you start to get to the topic of could you really truly recommend it? And sometimes we say yes, and sometimes, despite loving the game, we say no. And mm. in the case of the original or director's cut PS1 era Resident Evil, I adore this game, but I could not recommend it to someone to play right. it yeah. um, because I somewhat fall the opposite of Mikel, and I think that the remake has a warmth that the original no longer showcases. Mm. Um, so for me, if anyone wants to experience the mansion, which for me is the key character of the Resident Evil franchise, and this is a strong franchise that we will be discussing throughout the whole year, the environments played out in them are strong, mostly, but the mansion is still king. And to put it into to, to scale of how important that locale is for me in this game, this was my rapture prior to Bioshock. So this was right up there as the ultimate gaming playground for me to live out a game in. Um, It was perfect for the horror genre. You know, we mentioned that it's goofy. It is. The music is a mix between great and a little bit oddball. And I think all these sort of positives and cheesy negatives came to make this a really fond memory, but not necessarily a memory that everyone is going to be able to experience coming mm. to it. So for all that I adore Resident Evil and for all that I can see that it has changed the landscape of gaming within this genre after, it's not the Resident Evil in a mansion game that I would recommend <laughs> because that would be remake. I, I, I adore Resident Evil, but I will not recommend it. Fair enough. Uh, yes, uh, listeners, we will be covering all the mainline numbered uh, installments of Resident Evil throughout this year of the podcast, finishing with uh, seven towards the end of the year. So stay tuned for that. It remains for me, Leon, to thank Carl McKeel and Sean, as well as all our correspondents and all of you for listening. And to remind you, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, whatever you can do on the various platforms. Best of all, though, support us via patreon.com slash rinse and if you do donate a dollar a month you get every cane and rinse podcast one week early and next time in issue 302 a right pair of bleeders bleed and bleed too Tomadoi, Kachi, Kite, Kito,